it looks really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. Good evening and welcome inside the cage for Thursday, March 14th, 2019. I'm Brandon Halvac with Nick DeLaglio, Jake Lampert, and Doug Barron will be joining us shortly. Nick, we have so much to get to on today's show, starting first with Delaware women's basketball. A few moments ago, falling 59-49 to to Towson in the CAA quarterfinals. Delaware men's basketball over the weekend, a huge win over William & Mary in comeback fashion, a loss in the next game. But in overtime to Hofstra, all of the NFL machinations, trades, free agency signings. It's been a pretty crazy start to the offseason for football. Baseball's changing up their roles. We have a lot to dive into on today's show. And thought it was funny, our, our intro, which is now maybe <laughs> two, three months old, it touches on a lot of those things. How about the take that the the Eagles, if you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. Both of those teams now, I mean, are we looking at Super Bowl contenders on both sides all of a sudden? Uh, yeah, definitely. When that came up, I was like, wow, that's an old take exposed. <laughs> like, at the rate the Browns are moving out, who knows how good they'll be coming up. But definitely two good teams moving forward. And then in there, Martin Inglesby saying we have to really lay the foundation for our program. Blue Hens fans hoping that that was what happened this weekend with the big win and then the close win or close game, excuse me, against Hofstra in overtime, the number one seed. We'll dig into the program and the games much more later mm-hmm. on in the show. But just briefly off the top, I mean, that has to be a huge confidence boost just to play the way they did for 80 minutes this past weekend compared to the way that they had been struggling at the end of the regular season. Yeah, and me and you walking back from the stadium after that loss to Hofstra, I was just, I couldn't stop talking about them. I was really excited because just how well they played and how well they showed out was just something that I've never seen thus far uh, two years into my career of covering them. So a uh, really bright future for them. I'm really excited moving forward. This is Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. I'm Brandon Halvek with Nick DeLaglio. Jake Lampert will be hopping on in just a few moments, Nick. It's been a beautiful day today. I hope you've been able to spend it well. How are you doing? I've been in class. I've had three <laughs> classes all day making up exams. We gotta make, yeah, we got yeah. a lot to make up I know, after making the up exams left and right, but things are finally starting to slow down, which is nice. I did enjoy walking around in the nice weather, and feels good that we brought some of the Charleston warmth back with us. Yeah, uh, Dave, our, one of our uh, guys here at WVUD, said, you brought it back. Th- thank you much for doing that. Uh, and he asked, asked me, so now I will ask you, uh, best moment of the trip to Charleston. If you don't know, if you didn't listen to our broadcast, no hard feelings. Um, Nick DeLaglio and I were down in Charleston Saturday to Tuesday to cover the CAA tournament for WVUD. Uh, it was sunny. Yeah. It was 70. Delaware played excellent. That's the brief summary. Uh, Nick, your your best moment. I'll, the I'll give you the, the by far worst moment first. I'll start okay. with that. If running through, I think you can guess what it was. Running through the airport <laughs> to catch our connecting flight from... And you, lo- you had the our equipment... 
in your saddlebag. Rookie mistake on me. You know, my mom was pushing me to bring a rolling suitcase down. I was like, I don't have one. It's fine. I'll just bring a bag. And little did I know, we're running from Atlanta to connect, or connecting flight in Charleston. I'm gassed. I'm chasing you. I'm like, oh boy. He probably think, what is this kid doing? He's so far behind me. I'm sprinting. My pants were falling down. It was, it was a mess. But we got we on the made flight. It. We, we made, made it. on the flight, which is all that matters. Uh, that was overall a great experience. I mean, our hotel room was crazy. We were like, we could live in this apartment. It was crazy with a kitchen and everything. I think just calling the games and seeing not only Delaware play, but seeing these other teams play that we've seen throughout the whole year, watching them play, uh, watching great players like Pushitsa and Wright Foreman play, Nathan Wright, Justin Pierce. So it was overall just a great experience to be down there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I said to, to Dave, like, normally it wouldn't necessarily be, but it actually really was that, like, second half mm-hmm. against Hofstra. Just the feeling of... Yeah. Like, they're, they might actually do this and win this game, and we're going to have to figure out a way to stay here another day and call another day and push everything else um, back. But, like, that was just – it was such ex- so exciting. The crowd for that game was about 50-50. So mm-hmm. you really, I really felt like the momentum swung back and forth pretty evenly compared to, like, the Charleston games afterwards where it's yeah. 95% Charleston fans and Northeastern feels like they're playing a road game in that second semifinal. The Delaware game was incredible, but that is a good point, too. Like, it's really cool to be able to see all of the best players in the mm-hmm. league at the same time. We see them kind of here and there at the Bob Carpenter Center once a year, but to see Pusicha and then Wright Foreman take the floor and Brantley and Riller, and we're talking about them, getting to see them for the first time this season, and some of the younger guys, too. Like, I really think Matt Lewis mm-hmm. from James Madison, after seeing him this weekend is a guy to really watch out for. I was really impressed with him. So it was just cool to be able to watch all the different games kind of, kind of all in one. I mean, definitely yeah. all in one spot, um, which was a really cool experience and happy that we had the chance to go down there. Yeah, the Hofstra game was, my heart was pounding. I was starting to sweat <laughs> towards then. I was like, oh my God, I got all these exams to make up. What are my professors going to do? But uh, it stinks that I lost, but phenomenal game. Jake Lampert joins us now in the cage, fresh off. The call with the Med Quadri of Delaware's final women's basketball game of the season falling to Towson, 59-49. to Jake, how are you doing? I'm tired. Your mic's not on. Hold on one second. Jake, how are you doing? Now I'm, t- I'm still tired. <laughs> uh, that was after the game. I was talking to a med, and we turned to each other, and we were like, we're lightheaded. That game was so back and forth, not necessarily score-wise, but possession-wise, the action was off the charts. The teams couldn't even stop each other, stop themselves. And there were some runs for three or four minutes where I was just talking the entire time. And then there were runs where nothing was going on. <laughs> so I'm now settling in. I'm less lightheaded. I got myself some food. It's good. I'm going to go eat that on the next break. But I'm good. I'm happy to be in here. Let's get into this game a little bit. Nick and I talked about it right afterwards. If you were with us a little bit earlier here today, if you're a normal listener, though, Again, 59-49, Towson beats Delaware. The Blue Hens shoot 33% from the floor. They give up 30 points to Kiana Cheater. She was 11 of 23 from the field, also grabbed 10 rebounds, had four steals. Nick and I were able to get into it a little bit, but Jake, you were down there. You were on the call from us. What did you see from the Blue Hens early on? They kind of make a little bit of pushback late, but it kind of felt like it was a little too little, too late. Uh, what did you see from Delaware? They looked slow. They did not look like they were ready to play at the pace that Towson was. And the main problem was Jeter. I mean, she ran the floor better than anyone. But on top of that, Delaware just looked slow. They looked sluggish. Their ability to move down the court and push was probably only from Jasmine Dickey, 
tops. Yeah, it seemed like she had a good game. She played well. Uh, she played defensively well. Simone DeFries had a good game. Bailey Cargo and Abby Gonzalez seems like every time I call a game, they have off games. It was it was a bunch of small errors that just piled up into a big, kind of heartbreaking loss, not only on your home court, but in an extremely winnable game that should you have won, you get Hofstra. Right. And without any disrespect to Hofstra because they just beat the juggernaut that is JMU, they are not a good women's basketball team. So, and again, it's March. It's the tournament. Right. But you feel but way gonna... you feel way better about getting Hofstra in the semifinals than you would James Madison. James Madison lost one time in conference play. Delaware beat Hofstra both times that they played. JMU's beaten Delaware 15 times in a row. It wasn't even a contest when they came to the Bob Carpenter Center. Yep. But they get upset 57 to 50 by Hofstra in the earlier game today. Held to just 27% shooting from the floor. Camilla Smalls, their top scorer all season long. She only played two minutes. The first time in the 36-year history of the CAA tournament that a number one seed failed to extend past the CAA quarterfinal round. And it would have really played into Delaware's hand if they were able to win this game, which I agree, Jake, felt like a winnable contest. It, people asking me heading into today, the last couple of days, you know, what are the women's chances? And it was, I think they can win this first game and they're going to run into JMU and probably lose. And that changed. That changed in an instant today when it was... They might beat Towson. Who knows? It's 4-5. But after that, they should go to the CAA championship game. But they weren't able to handle their business here. The good news out of all of this is, yes, we have graduating seniors. Yes, a transition happens every time a season ends. Abby Gonzalez and Bailey Cargo are back. Whatever you want to say about them, successful or not successful, they are back on the team. Just a quick, quick statistical interruption on that note. I don't know if they've ever combined for two points before on one of 12 shooting Probably from the not. floor. That's what they Probably did not. today. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, just completely off off days for both of them. Gonzalez and Cargo are back. Simone DeFries, who has emerged as this capable leading scorer, is back. Rebecca Lawrence and Lizzie O'Leary, who played perhaps the best defense I've seen them play today, not necessarily offensive threats, but great defensive threats, are back. Not to mention, and hopefully all goes well, CAA Player of the Year, 20-plus points per game, 10 rebound per game, Nicole Anabosi, back. That is huge. Mm -hmm. Sprinkle in Paris McBride, Jasmine Dickey. Hopefully Lolo Davenport becomes this person that we heard that she is. This is a good basketball team and a very above-average team. They're possession-focused. They played very poorly on turnover today. Yes, they just lost, but you can't help to feel a little bit of excitement looking towards next year right. because they have all of this returning and CAA Player of the Year, Nicole Anabosi. Yeah, and you just named about seven or eight players. That's a really deep, deep women's basketball team that the Blue Hens are going to have. So I feel like it's kind of similar to the end of the men's season. You know, that they played a good game. Well, the men played a good game. It's Hofstra. I don't know what to say about the women, but at the end of the day, you're like, it was a bittersweet ending, but you got to feel good moving forward. So uh, I think a little positive end for both teams. I made this point before to Nick, but I'll now offer it to you, Jake. So year one, Natasha Adair, they go to the CAA semifinals, they lose to Drexel. This year, they lose in the quarterfinals, so a round earlier. But I expanded on the point that despite that, a perceived step back, with the cards that they were dealt, the circumstances that they had to manage at the beginning of the season between the injuries to Enabosi and Davenport, and then the midseason injuries to DeFries 
and Dickey, among others, who held them out for a couple of games and disrupted that chemistry. Considering where this team could have tumbled to, they started three-game losing streak, all three games under 50 points scored. DeFries was in and out of the starting lineup, and she ends up being second-team All-CAA. Cargo and Gonzalez were hot and cold. Dickey starts off really strong and then falls apart, basically. For the coaching staff to keep this team together and get it to where it was at the regular season, albeit with a disappointing result at the end. But for them to keep this team together in the fashion that they did represents a successful season this year in itself. And it does build that platform, that foundation for next year to then be judged upon. Okay, did they advance past the semifinal round? Did they make it to the CA championship? Did they win? Because honestly, you sit here today, and I don't know exactly what Drexel and JMU offer in 2019, 2020, and it'll be a long time before they play again. But you sit here today and you look at what Delaware has coming back to the program. They should win the CAA championship next year. Yeah. I don't have a question. Like, they should win. If Enabosi is healthy, even if she's 75% of what she was Still the best, best a year ago, the CAA. Yeah. they should win the CAA championship. So that's what I would judge this team on. I think they did a good enough job this year to consider this a success building toward that ultimate goal next year. I, I'll agree with that. I think that to this game today really counteracts that point and almost makes it seem like everything that the coaching staff and the players did to win and go 10 and 3 in their last 13 games to go 14 and 17 uh no go 14 and 7 in the games prior to that it kind of seems like it was all, all went to waste that they just forgot what they were doing they forgot their identity they forgot that works yeah. what works for them i will say that this is a great place to be for two reasons. One, should they have gotten farther and even to the NCAA tournament, they would have got smacked. This is not an NCAA tournament team. Yes, you would have went to the NCAA tournament. It would have been incredibly exciting regardless of how you right, played. Right, right, right. It, it's awesome. <laughs> but they would have gotten obliterated. I mean, they could have gotten destroyed by JMU in the second round. With any team. Yeah. It, the, Drexel, if they got right. to the championship. And the second thing is now you have a chip on your shoulder. You no longer just have the best player in the CIA coming back. All of your other players have a chip on your shoulder trying to be better than they were this year. I said it uh, last show. I actually slipped when I said, I said, this team's going to win the NCAA tournament. <laughs> and, then, and then Brandon was like, rather than quoting you there, I'll give you another shot. I said they were going to win the CIA tournament. I think a lot of us feel they're going to win the CIA tournament. And not right now, but probably in a few weeks, few months, if you ask Coach Adair, and she'll, she'll say the same thing. Not because she's the head coach. That's because she want, like has to say that. Because she actually believes it. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. That's the round that Delaware made it to the semifinals, that is, in the men's basketball tournament, falling just short, losing to Hofstra 78-74 to in overtime. It came a little longer than 24 hours after Delaware came all the way back and beat William & Mary 85-79 after trailing by 14 points at halftime. They trailed by 13 points against Hofstra, Far better team than William & Mary in the regular season, and yet the Blue Hens almost did it. They almost pulled off back-to-back, huge comeback, upset wins on consecutive days. Instead, they fall just short of Hofstra. Yeah, and uh, that game against William & Mary was a really, really good game, and the game against Hofstra was really good as well. Tell two ta- or not tell two hips, I think they're both very similar second halves that we saw one Game against William Mary, they're down 14 at half, and we're thinking about, all right, we might be going home a lot earlier than we expected. And the next thing you know, E.C. Horton and Ryan Allen, we benched it, 
uh, during that game, too. Ryan Allen, two points at halftime after he struggled in that last season, regular season finale against Hofstra. Then he comes into this game against William & Mary, only two points. Next thing you know, I think he finished with 21, maybe? 23. 23, 21 sorry. Okay. Second half, so yeah. 21 second half. And Ethan Horton, man, uh, as coaching will be said in that um, press conference when you, you were asking him those questions, he just felt like he was playing with a chip on his shoulder because obviously he didn't get CAA rookie of the year, which he probably thought he deserved. So he just came out. He was shooting lights out. I think he finished with 26 in that game. So that game against William & Mary was a really good game from the Blue Hens. Yeah, and as we were talking about before, getting to see everybody on the same floor, back-to-back-to-back-to-back all weekend long, it was a small sample size. But if you watched every one of those games, there's no doubt that Ithiel Horton was the best freshman in this league. And he probably didn't play like it the last stretch of the season, the second half of CAA play. His numbers dropped a little bit. He started off around 13.5, 14 points per game, finished the year around 12 points per game, and was not quite as efficient those last couple of weeks of the season. But at his best, as he was in the tournament this past weekend, he's the best shooter, scorer among all the freshmen that we saw in the conference. And I was really impressed by the way that he was able to play, as well as Ryan Allen, who both games combined mm-hmm. two points in the first half, both games combined. 35 points in the second half. And a guy who is the definition of our microwave can heat up in a hurry. He was loving those corner threes. He just gets up so high, just a little bit over the defender to get just enough airspace to knock those down. Between those two and then what Kevin Anderson was also able to do, 13.7 assists in the first game, 15 points, including 13 in the first half in the second game to keep the team afloat. Between those three guys, and we'll talk a little bit about the future, but just between those three guys, they had one of the most talented backcourts on display, and it was really a joy to watch in the second half of both of those games, first against William & Mary and then against Hofstra. Yeah, and mind you, Coach Jingles will be said in that, um, in the press conference as well, you got to remember, this is Kevin Aronson's first time around in the CAA tournament, so it's still technically, you know, his freshman experience, and the way he handled the pressure, I mean, it stinks that he stepped out he's, of bounds But he there. stepped up yeah, huge. he I stepped mean, up huge, yeah. I tried to make the point in what, in what I was writing about that, Here's a guy who missed five games for personal reasons or academic, whatever it was. He's Down out of the lineup. Too. He's out of lineup for five critical games. He comes in, scores seven point six assists in the season finale. They get waxed, twenty two point loss against Hofstra. His numbers the whole season way down compared to where they were as a freshman. But he comes into the tournament and he absolutely shows up. He's defending Justin Wright Foreman for. 30, 35 Mm -hmm. minutes of that game against Hofstra, the best player in the CAA who, yes, he did get 42 points, but he had to work for every bit of it, and he had to take 30 shots to do it, and he kept Delaware in the game. He had that defensive assignment, and then he had the job of distributing the ball. And in this Hofstra game, he had to keep them afloat by hitting three threes in the first half. I thought the way that he played was excellent, and that should be the expectation, the standard for Kevin Anderson moving forward, as it should be for all three of these guys. But in particular, Anderson, who to me was disappointing all throughout the regular season for his ability level, his potential, his size, his makeup. He should be that 3-4 tool guy, and he finally showed that in the tournament against these two teams. 100%. He should be that guy that can distribute when you need him to. And just like you said, he played really good defense down the stretch and right forward because, mind you, Horan and Ryan Al were both in foul trouble down right. the stretch, so he had to step up. Yeah, somehow yeah. those three guys who are all in foul trouble, none of them fouled out in that game against Hofstra. That was what was even crazier, too, because if the game goes into overtime, you and me are sitting there, and we're like, oh, boy, this could be bad if one of these two get or one of these two get a foul, and Anderson was at three as well, so he was kind of in foul trouble. So the way that they composed themselves and the way that they were able to play defense, not only individually, but as a unit down the stretch, 
I mean, when you look at how they fared in overtime, they lose 11-7, to but nine out of those 11 points were from the free throw. So not necessarily that Hofstra played them in the overtime period. It's just more that... Delaware, yeah, Delaware got unlucky with They were in the double bonus. Yeah. They I think they were, were in, in foul trouble. Yeah, I mean, nine forever. minutes left, right? In the second yeah. half or something. So uh, that's where they got killed down the stretch of the free throws, definitely. Jake, um, you were producing for us both of those games. Coming in, and rightfully so, you were down on this team coming in this tournament. And again, rightfully so, they lost four games, seven of nine, heading into the William & Mary game. How surprised were you to see that they were able to play the way they did in the second half of both of these games. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised because— Or that they. Not that they could, but that they actually did. Because <sighs> we, again, like, we know these guys were capable of maybe not quite to this degree, yeah. but we know they're good players. Like, they have potential. I was a lot more surprised on Hofstra's second half than I was with William & Mary's second half. Okay. William & Mary's second half, that's how they should have played. It, sh- it shouldn't have gone like that. They should have won that game and— I'm not very surprised. The Hofstra second half is surprising because the challenge on second half comebacks, and we highlighted it, is it's not that you need to make up that ground, but you also need to hold the opposing team for those last stretch minutes. If you're making a first half comeback, you can let the other team score too and just make up a gap. You still have another second half to play. What they did was hold Justin Wright for a minute to competitive shots. This is not Justin Wright Foreman pulling up from 51 feet and hitting it like it's nothing. This is Justin Wright Foreman needing to drive through double coverage to score. It's Ryan Allen and Ithiel Horton hitting threes. It's Darian Bryan and Ryan Johnson playing spot defensive minutes on the wing. It's Colin Goss, Goss playing the, yeah. better, about that after the better center position than one of the best players in the CAA, Eric Carter. It was a whirlwind of things that were going right for Delaware, and that's why it was surprising. Because there has not been one time this season, and probably not one time last season, since the CIA victory against Elon, where I could have confidently said all the things were going in the right direction. That's exactly it. That is the perfect way to phrase it. That is sort of what I think Inglesby tried to enunciate at the end of the William & Mary game, saying – we played a beautiful 20 minutes, and he honestly, he looked like he had a huge sense of relief, like a weight was lifted off his shoulders in saying that I've been waiting for this for a while. And exactly as you put it, Jake, we've never seen everybody on at the same time. And we saw that not only for 20 minutes against William & Mary, but we got to see it for another 20 minutes against Hofstra. Let's talk about Colin Goss. William & Mary game... Eric Carter picks up his fourth foul with 13 minutes and nine seconds remaining in the second half. They're forced to go to Colin Goss. I thought in real time, oh, this is a nightmare. Yep. Colin Goss has got to guard Nathan Knight <laughs> now in this run, and if he switched, he's switching on to Justin Pierce, who torched them in the first half. I thought it was going to be a disaster. It turns out to be like a the, mu- the move of the century. It opens up the offense on the other end. Goss holds up defensively. They start being a little bit more aggressive on the double teams, which worked. And all of a sudden you have these non-superstars on William & Mary forced to take shots and missing on the outside because of Goss standing up defensively against Knight inside. And then on the other end, there's space to navigate for Allen, Horton, and Anderson, and they take advantage of it because Goss is a guy who can shoot. That's his, probably his top tool as the five. He can actually stretch you out, and that really helped them against William & Mary. And then they go back to it voluntarily against Hofstra, and it works to a similar effect. 
And I think that's the biggest thing about what this team needs when you look at it and what one of their biggest needs is that they don't really necessarily have is if a guy like Colin Gosta could stretch the four, be that true stretch four that can play phenomenal, or give you solid defense in the paint, and then on the offensive side can give you spacing. Even if he's not shooting, he just poses himself as a three-pointer threat, which opens the floor for guys like Horton, Allen, and Anderson. And as you said, he voluntarily played down the stretch and um against Hofstra, and me and you were saying... Oh, when is Eric Carter going to come back in? Because he's not in foul trouble. Obviously, Carter came in and hit those two clutch free throws to send in overtime. But I think Colin Goss is definitely up there with one of the uh, Blue Hens that played phenomenal this weekend. I wanted them to go to Jacob Cushing. In William & Mary, that's the Jacob Cushing spot. You need shooters. Might as well bring somebody who can guard uh, Nathan Knight. Not well, but can at least stand next to him and not look like a dwarf. You bring in Jacob Cushing. He loses most defensive battles, but they weren't going to Nathan Knight every point anyway. Justin Pierce was doing most of the torching. But Hofstra was the perfect Colin Goss position. Because if you lose an offensive rebound against William & Mary, fine, so be it. Just play another defensive set. If you lose an offensive rebound to Hofstra, well, that's another shot Justin Wright Foreman can take. And that is just putting nails in the coffin. That's why I like this Colin Goss move. Because not only can he play against a lot of big men, but like you mentioned, he stretches the floor. And yeah, that's the, what's really important mm-hmm. about it. The thing Delaware does well with stretching the floor is that they don't crowd that side. A lot of teams, when they bring out their center, normally don't move their perimeter player. If they stretch Colin Goss out to the wing, let's say Darian Bryant's on that wing side, Darian Bryant normally doesn't move. But what Delaware does well is he pulls Darian Bryant, leaves Colin Goss in isolation, and because Colin Goss is a shooting threat— you now have a wide-open hole behind Colin Goss's defender where no one is. Mm-hmm. And Delaware have to come out and slashers and cutters, Darian Bryan, Ryan Allen, and even Kevin Anderson who can pass, that's where Delaware found their success. And I think Colin Goss was a great move. Yes, I would have liked to see Eric Carter play more for his final CAA tournament, but right. I think Eric Carter wanted to play more games, and with Colin Goss in, that's what they got. Right. I don't think it's an indictment on Eric Carter by any means. He had an excellent season, and he's a heck of a player, but— Fit-wise, it's compelling. It's interesting to think about, okay, now as we look forward with this team, Anderson, Allen, Horton, plus you're adding Nate Darling to the mix as another shooter, that's the type of player that they want to have. That's the type of player that Martin Inglesby has consistently brought into this program. All those guys are now his guys. This last class, they're Monte Ross's guys that decided to hang around. So the way that they want to play is a lot more like what we saw in the second half of these games than what we saw in games earlier this season, where even if they were successful, it was dump it into the post to Eric Carter, let Eric Carter do his thing, and when the double teams comes, panic and try to spit, spit it out to whoever's open, and they didn't do that effectively throughout most of the regular season. When when Carter did win those matchups down low, it was great. He puts up 20-plus against Maryland, 33 against St. Francis. They win, have a big second half against the Terrapins. But this is the way, with the guys moving on the perimeter, setting up threes for Horton and Allen, Anderson quarterbacking the offense. This is the way that Inglesby wants to play. He wants to play fast and small with shooters, and you're starting to see that come together now. And you you really saw it this weekend for the first time. And that's a great point because, you know, in those two games, we did not see Eric Carr post up a lot. And the one time we did see him post up was in the end game against Hofstra. And Coach Inglesby even said, look, we weren't going for free throws there. We were going for the win. And they, obviously he went to the free throw line. Right. So it just goes to show that like, even though he was in the post, they're trying to 
you know, get this. They're setting yeah, up that inside exactly. out. The fact that they were even going for it just shows how they're going to change this type of basketball moving forward. So I'm excited to see how it's going to turn out. I also want to mention, I don't know if you mentioned this, but when the CIA Player of the Year award was announced, you mentioned that the Blue Hens were in the stadium watching the games for that. And I was like, all right, Ethel Horton saw that. Now he's angry. Now, now he's like, oh, yeah. okay, well, now I see how it is. I had a streak of rookie of the years left and right. I was scoring, and given he had his lulls. But if anyone had a something to prove, it was Ethel Horton. He it, proved it. It really it, was. Yeah. Because CAA knows Ryan Allen's a three-point shooter and one of the best scorers in the CAA when he has the space. Kevin Anderson I do think has Anderson potential. had a lot to prove. And yeah. he does. And he, and he did, too. He had a lot of, to prove to himself and the team. He yeah. didn't have a lot Not to prove to, to the CIA. Else. Nobody else even yeah. really Cares. knows who he is. Right. <laughs> so but, seriously, seriously. But Ithiel Horton, yeah. he had a lot to prove to the rest of the league. That I'm, He put the legal notice. And with him shooting like he did, I would be stunned if next season comes around and teams aren't playing him differently. Teams aren't marking him higher. Yeah. And uh, you'll, you guys will see a little sneak peek later in the show. During the last game, I constructed my way too early all CAA teams. Wow. So a little tease. We'll see if Ithiel Horton, Ryan Allen, and Kevin Anderson can earn a spot on the first, second, or third team as we sit here on March 14th. I want to make my own team now. <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We wanted to dedicate some time to talk about the team moving forward, but I also think it's worth discussing the movement of the league heading into next year. And Delaware is one of the teams in this conference that has most of its talent coming back to the mm-hmm. team. I mean, Eric Carter's a loss. Darian Bryant, Ryan Johnson made contributions to the team. But compared to what other teams are losing, Delaware looks to be in really good shape heading into next year. And there will be a lot that changes. We don't know exactly what other transfers other teams have coming into their programs. If a Tremaine Isabel flies into Drexel all of a sudden, that could change a lot of things in the league. But given the outlook right now, Nate Darling, Justin Mutz, Dylan Painter all joined the team as transfers. They all had to sit out this season. Johnny McCoy is the only freshman that we know of. But that core that showed out this weekend, Ithiel Horton, Ryan Allen, Kevin Anderson, they're all back. And the oldest that any of them will be is a junior. <laughs> so the, the outlook is very positive on that note when we look about uh, starters and contributors returning compared to other teams. So one of the things that I did, and then Jake joined me in doing, after considering that and thinking about, okay, who is everybody else going to lose? Who are they going to bring back? Is we constructed all CAA teams for next season. And Way that's, too early. That's where I want to start. I want to kind of compare what we thought of, and then it'll lead us into a little bit of how Delaware is going to stack up. I haven't season. seen Brandon's. Brandon has not seen mine. Correct. I've seen both. Nick has seen both. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also, I also ranked the teams, too. I don't know if you did. I did not rank okay. the teams. Cool. I can... You guys can give me you guys can give me feedback on my list of teams. Oh yeah. Um, let's start though with the all CAA teams. Um, let's go with the first team. I'll just give you my five, and then you give me your five. Okay. Um, and we'll let we'll let um, get those guys be judge and jury. First team, I have Grant Riller of Charleston. Am I supposed to if I have them or not? I'm just looking to see what your reaction is. Um, Grant Riller Char- of Charleston. I do have Grant Riller. <laughs> okay. Uh, Grant Riller right, of man, Charleston. I'm not even going to look at Nick for I'm not even going to look at Brandon for any satisfaction. Brian Fobbs of Towson 17 points a game this season. Justin Pierce of William and Mary. Nathan Knight of William and Mary, who I dubbed CIA player of the year. And this one might be surprising, Matt Lewis of James Madison. That's my first team all CAA. My first team, all CAA. Grant Riller. Shocker. Nathan Knight. Shocker. <laughs> Justin Pierce. Eli Pemberton of Hofstra. Okay. 
and Ryan Allen of Delaware. Oh. oh. Make the case for Ryan Allen being first team all CAA next season. He's going to score more three-pointers <laughs> than I, – I, I think he'll get close to the single-season three-pointer record because next year, what are they going to do? They're going <laughs> to shoot threes, and if they're not shooting threes, you know what they're going to be doing? Shooting threes. <laughs> this is a three-point shooting team through and through. Ryan Allen and Ithiel Horton on the corners with Kevin Anderson at the facil- facilitator position is a great place to be, and I think that whole offense coming from Ryan Allen – Gives him enough for first team. What do you guys think? I like I like both your lists. I, I'm happy that we got. I, I saw Grant Riller play. He's really good for Charleston. The only Grant guy- a, the thing about Grant Riller is he's so boring good. Yeah, like like he, he just, is not flashy. He just took he's his, just better than you are. There was probably five or six possessions against Northeastern where it was just like, oh, he's taking it to the uh, rim again and getting another easy layup. Uh, the only person I haven't seen on this list play is Brian Fobb, So I really don't know how good he is. But I'm gonna t- take your guys' word that I was actually kind of surprised you had Brian. I do have Brian Fobbs in one of my teams. But obviously not the first team. And we've praised Nathan Knight and Justin Pierce a lot. Oh, we said how good they, how well they play complementary off each other. So I like both those guys. So yeah, I, I agree with both of your guys. First team, I love seeing a blue hen in there. Obviously, yeah. I, I guess, definitely yeah. love that. You want like me to Ryan go first Allen. or second team? Sure. And I should note, like as long as I've been here, they've never had a first team All CAA yeah. selection. Uh-huh. Um, I'm guessing Devon Sadler was, and maybe Jarvis Threat was when they won the championship in 2014 so that would probably be the last time they had a first team all CAA but the second team that Carter got this past season was the first second team in even a while Uh, Ryan Daly made third team as a freshman and a sophomore Hmm. but nobody else oh yeah Corey Holden would have been I think third team my freshman year Um, so Carter getting second was kind of a big deal but first team would be a pretty big deal next year Uh, yeah go for your second so my second team all, I do have another blue hen, mm-hmm. this one being Ithiel Horton. I have Kai Taus on the second team. I okay. have Matt Lewis. Brandon had him on the first yeah, team. I, I like him Matt Lewis. He's good. He's, He's a good. real He's good, good player. Uh, alongside Jordan Rowland. And then I have Gene Talsilla, a player that I added a little late from UNCW. Okay. And the only Somebody's reason— Somebody's got to do something for them. The only reason yeah. why <laughs> I put in there, and the only reason I put on Eli Pemberton in first team is because— Someone has to score, and that Hofstra offense is a well-oiled machine regardless of who's playing on it, so he's the next best scorer. Uh, I put on—I think Silla's the one that probably would have surprised most people. He's a great spot-up shooter, and he torched the Blue Hens when UNCW came to town, and they made that game competitive. It was solely on him. His ability to spot-up shoot and make himself space along the elbow is very impressive, so that's why I have him on second my second team is Ithiel Horton and Ryan Allen from Delaware, Eli Pemberton from Hofstra, Jordan Rowland from Northeastern, and Bolden Brace from Northeastern. Okay. I have all of those players on some of sort of list. So I, I like both those lists. I definitely obviously agree on Horton. Pemberton's a good yeah. point, too. Someone's got a score on that team. Was the only senior they lost right forward? Or they also lost Jaquiel Taylor. I was going to say they lose Taylor. Yeah. And Jajor Bowie. Okay, yeah. So, that, yeah, so yeah, they as you said, he's going to have to score— well. I really like Roland. I watching him play. I've Roland's seen him play good. twice. Yeah, he's, uh, they, he's quick. He came to Delaware. I saw him there, and then obviously for the tournament, him and Bolden Brace. I really like both those guys. Someone's gonna. I kept them high because I think that team's still gonna be yeah. good. Yeah. I know. I love Vasa Bashisha yeah. as much as the next guy, but he had some games we saw in the tournament where he did not really think... score a lot, and the team still won. Mm-hmm. So I think even without him next year, they have everybody else coming yeah. back. I still think they're gonna be good. So I I, I kind of bumped up Bolden Brace because I think the team's gonna be like a yeah. top. 
two top three type of team and, and they'll yeah. get represented. Yeah, that's, that, that game against Charleston, I think Pushita had nine points. He scored as a, a 10th and 11th bucket with probably a minute left, no, no more than that. So they're a really deep team. I, I like Roland Brace, and even uh, Gresham Jr. is another good player too. So I agree with you on that fact that Northeastern is definitely one of those solid teams still. Yeah, I really like Ithiel Horton real quick, just because we yeah. saw him take a step forward in the CAA tournament. I mean, especially against Hofstra, really carrying that team in the second half. Mm-hmm. I think he had 18 in the second Sounds half. Crazy. By, uh, and really, I mean, coming in, he started off just the season pretty hot. There were some games where he didn't score a lot, so maybe a little bit of inconsistency, but I think he'll iron that out throughout the offseason, and I can only see him growing from this last season, which he was already playing great. Uh, I think he's in the potential conversation for uh, CA Rookie of the Year. Yeah, he was. Yep. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was. He didn't get it? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, Cameron Winter from Drexel got it. Right. But, I mean, he put, a, he put on the uh, – Yeah, the chip on made the shoulder. argument yeah, he definitely did. this past weekend. Uh, any reason for Brian Fobbs not being second? I have Brian Fobbs' third, third team. team. Okay, give me your third team then. Let's go through that. The reason why I don't – I guess it's kind of – bias from last year when I was watching that team with Fobbs is because Star uh, what was Star's first name on Towson? Um, Brian. It was Brian. I was going to say Brian but I thought that was a little weird. Uh, Brian Star. (laughs) It took me a second. (laughs) Was so good at moving the basketball that I think it almost gets lost on how good Towson as a team is at moving the basketball. I'd pull Alex Thomas, the best passing center and that's over Eric Carter, who in the beginning of the season was one of the best passers in the CAA on assists per game. They move the ball well. I think it's more of a product of the team than a product of the player. But at the same time, how much can I discount that? In yeah, if you still CAA put him third team, yeah. it's still pretty solid. So yes, I still do have him third team. Uh, and I think it, you want to do your third. Sure, I'll okay. give my third team. So I have K Towels from okay. UNCW. Not only the most assists by a freshman ever in a season, the most assists. From any CAA player ever in a season he as a freshman. He can really clear the court out. Mm-hmm. It's it's impressive to watch him play. I think those assist numbers go down a little bit without Devontae Kaycock. Yeah. I think he's just because like, he's the perfect lob, crash the rim, running, pick and roll partner. But I think Kaytaus is in that conversation. He was a really talented freshman. He sneaks on the third team. I put Cameron Winter from Drexel. But I do think Kirk Lee coming back from injury could complicate that. I have Kirk Lee in my honorable mention list because I don't know who's going to be the point guard of that team. So I kind of think uh, Drexel point guard, whoever that is, and probably Winter has the inside track. Then I went Darius Banks from James Madison, Alahan Demir from Drexel, and James Butler from Drexel. Okay. I have Cameron Winter, Bolden Brace, Kevin Anderson, because... I hope. Yeah. Because if Kevin Kevin Anderson played like he did in the CAA tournament with Ryan Allen. Oh, he's way better than like Darius Banks. Playing the way that they are. Or Cameron 100%. And I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt of some sort of decline. Mm -hmm. That's a great third team pick. Yeah. Will he do that? We don't know. Kevin Anderson, uh, I have Chase Outage. We mentioned him. And I have Brian Fobbs. The one that I really like in third team is actually Kevin Anderson. Mm -hmm. And he's the one, he was the first name that I put. Because if Ryan Allen and this is my thought process, Ryan Allen's a first team player. Yes. So you know he's twenty five. 
Like, Ooh, uh, I, I don't know about that. Ah, if Ryan Allen, <laughs> it's a forty-minute game. If Ryan Allen's <laughs> making first team, twenty-one. If he's making first team, but he's counting by the, three. No, if he if he could score twenty points yeah. a game, I would be twenty. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. We'll call twenty-one. We'll call, yeah. we'll call twenty. Because twenty-six is now Justin Wright Foreman. Four with yeah. Three, and he's four, not. There's I don't know if he's, per game. there's not a world where he if he gets twenty time. points and shoots forty percent from three, mm-hmm. which are reasonable Ryan Allen numbers. That's yeah. That's the ceiling. Yeah. If Ithiel Horton. Around the same limit, maybe a little bit less points, 40% from three. What else does Kevin Anderson need to do for the Blue Hens to win? Let's play the utility role. And I thought, perfect spot for Kevin Anderson. I didn't really, I just checked your list. Both Drexel players, I didn't hate Demir on there. What What was your thought process? For Butler? Yeah. He had nine rebounds a game this season. And the when I look at the landscape... Of the CAA. You look at my first, my second team. There are hardly any talented big men left in the league. Mm-hmm. So I think... Yeah, it's, I, it's Nathan Knight against the world. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> it, it absolutely is. Compared to having Devontae Kaycock and Jarrell Brantley and Eric Carter. So I think... Is Alex Thomas graduating from Alex Towson? Thomas is graduating. Oh, goodness. So It's a wasteland. Even Jaquille Taylor from Hofstra played very well this weekend. He graduates from Hofstra. So I, I felt like I needed to get another big man in my all CIA team. Even Tyler Seabrook's graduating. Tyler Seabrook's mm-hmm. graduating. So that's that's basically where I went with him. He's like my next remaining rebounder, and he scored ten points a game pretty efficiently this year. So that's why I put him in. And I was trying to tamper expectations a bit, I guess, for Delaware as far as not putting all three guys on the team. Like I totally agree. Ceiling reaching that was a weird way of Kevin Anderson's potential is second first team CAA, like easily. And and a realistic spot for him is the third team because you're right. He's not going to score 20 points a game. There's simply not enough shots for him to do that. That's not going to be his role. But I, I, I have to take more of the he played 25 games and averaged 10 points and three or four assists versus what we saw this weekend. I still have to take that as what his season was. So I, I wanted to just temper the expectations. That's why I left him off. But, yes, I mean, could he be better than Cameron Winter and Amir and Butler and Banks? Totally. Definitely, he definitely could. Yeah. Any other thoughts, guys, on our first, second, and third teams? <clears throat> I, I like him. I like the third team. I definitely think you got some good guys on there. I've, I, I'm i trying to think. I don't remember. If, was Banks the guy? Was Banks number 15? For Jamie, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. He played really well against Hofstra. I forgot what his name was, but yeah, I remember looking up at the scoreboard and seeing him and uh, Lewis were the ones that were carrying him. So I, I like I him. I love Lewis. Yeah. I, I'm I not surprised Lewis. our lists were this similar. Yeah, I said, yeah. like, I, I, you listed the players that were graduating, and we talked about, we just rattled off, what, six of the top seven centers yeah. in the CAA yeah. all graduating. Yeah. First of all, I think Nathan Knight might put up numbers. That, That's why I said player of the year for Knight. Oh, that yeah. Devontae yeah. Kaycock put up when he led all of NCAA basketball in rebounds. Because mm-hmm. who's going to box him out on the Blue Hens? Uh, Colin Goss. Colin Goss, literally. <laughs> his kryptonite. Good, yeah, I guess it's kryptonite. But his kryptonite. Come out and defend me on the re- three-point line, yeah, Nathan yeah. Knight. His kryptonite not because of rebounding. His kryptonite because Nathan Knight has to guard a three-point shooter, <laughs> right. which is a nightmare. So we're going to pull you away from the basket. You're not going to get Goss the rebound. Colin is literally just going to stand under the opposing team's basket and just sit there. And Nathan Knight just can't leave him. And then he's just going to walk out to the three-point line and Nathan Knight's just going to be like, Reset. what's the procedure? What do I do? How do I do this? But he's he's going to dominate. I agree. I put him as a, I'll put a runner up. I think Grant Riller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grant, I mean, just because he's 
so good at He's basketball. Really good. Um, so you want my standings real quick here of, of what I, I gave? I do want your standings. You want me to go from that. 1 to 10 or 10 to 1? 10 to 1. I want the suspense. Of course. Okay. Drum, Drum roll. roll. <laughs> uh, number 10, Elon. This yeah, team goodbye, was, Tyler Sebring. This team was bad, and they just lost everybody. <laughs> yeah. Tyler Sebring, Steven Santa Ana. Uh, Eberhardt, who's the sixth man of the year. Oh my Dane God. and Swoop might not get a medical redshirt year. This Throwing team the already Elon. only won 11 games with all those guys. Hmm. Goodness gracious. Elon's number 10. Number 9, UNCW. Yeah, without Devontae Kegato. They, again, they still have Sel- I like They Sel- already Sel- only won five conference games they with Devontae They still have Ty Gadsden, too, so they're not desolate, but they don't have Devontae Kegato. They, they get ninth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Towson at number eight. Yeah, that's fine. Drexel at seven. And now we get into these teams could win the CAA. The juice. Championship, yeah. Number six, the Hofstra Pride. A precipitous fall from greatness. They come up short, lose to Northeastern in the CAA championship. Their 27-win season is all for naught. Justin Wright Foreman graduates. Dejour Bowie, the defensive player of the year, graduates. Let me just Jaquiel say, Jaquiel Taylor graduates. Sorry, Nick. No, I'm, um, I'm not surprised they lost they slipped, Northeastern. They honestly, slipped. like they didn't surprise me. The tournament. I mean, Delaware played phenomenal in that game, but something just didn't seem right, especially that game in JMU too. So I'm not really surprised that they lost to Northeastern in that championship. So I have them a big fall. That's a big fall yeah. from greatness. But they lose three fifths of their starting lineup, including the best player I've ever seen play in the CAA with my eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number five, James Madison. I think they get better. I, they lose Stucky Mosley. Everybody else comes back. They still have Zach Jacobs, good mm-hmm. defensive player, good block shot rebounding guy, and Matt Lewis is still there. Mm-hmm. Number four, Charleston. Without Jarrell Brantley, how far can Grant Riller carry this team by himself? Mm-hmm. Probably the CAA championships <laughs> because Grant Riller is good at basketball. Number three, your Delaware Fighting Blue Hens. Fine. I so couldn't. then your last two teams are Northeastern, and what team did I miss? William Mary. Number uh, two, the Northeastern Huskies. Maybe they take William a small, Mary they take a small step back without Vasa Bushicha, but everybody else returns, including mm-hmm. Sean Osias, Jordan Rowland, Bolden Brace. And number one, the entire starting lineup returns. Nathan Knight will receive zero resistance on the low block. <laughs> Justin Pierce... Will distribute and carve up opposing defenses, shoot the three, space the floor, drive to the basket. Matt Millon will shoot 41% from three. Chase Outage will take another step forward. And the William & Mary Tribe will be your regular season CAA champions. Do you remember the year that Carl Anthony Towns got drafted to the NBA and they yeah. showed his shot chart on the screen during the draft and it was just one dot underneath the hoop? <laughs> That's going to mean. Nathan That's Knight. Nathan Knight's shot chart, and he's going to have 75% field goal percentage, one three-pointer on the year, yep. and have 51 free throws a game because he's just going to get hacked because no one can defend him anyway. I What changes would I make? I would probably put Northeastern over William & Mary because uh, I think William & Mary is exploitable, um, as we saw That's Delaware awesome. kind of do in that second half. I think Northeastern's just good. And they're good coaching. Yeah. I probably William Mary at two. I might put Charleston up there at three, and then Delaware at four. That's probably the only changes I would make, if any. 
Yeah, I agree with them. I think they mostly look good. I think, uh, as I've been saying, Northeastern is just that really good, consistent team. I just like how they play. Even losing Pushitsa hurts, but I think they still got four or five guys are there. As you said, William and Mary Tribe, starting five's coming back. That's a big yikes. They got a bunch of really good guys, especially good role players, too, as you said, in Milan who could shoot an outage as well. So I, I, I like that. I could see Delaware in the three to four range. Uh, I think mm-hmm. if they fall under that, that'd probably be a little bit of a disappointment. Well, wasn't Delaware, what were they? They were five this year, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, going up two spots is not unreasonable to see them, especially with all their players returning. And I think that it will be a close three behind William & Mary and Northeastern, even though those teams are both going to be really good. I mean, besides Busicza leaving for Northeastern. I'm going to miss Vasa. Yeah, (laughs) he's really good. Just still I like be... how the band would chant. I know. Bossa. Every time we make a Bossa. Their signs were funny. I was looking at all their signs. They, were... they had they had good signs. They had good signs. They're, 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 good, yeah, they're good people. I'm going to send a message to Northeastern Marching Band. I'm just going to say a letter and says Nick Delaglio thinks you're all good people. The Delaware Marching Band lost. Uh, it was marching right after the loss, and they were chanting Marching Band, Marching Band, or whatever. And I was like, oh. These guys are just nice. I have to – speaking of marching bands here, and I know you listen to Blue Hen Sports in case you hear about marching bands. Uh, Towson's marching band was lit today at the home. Team. Really? Yeah. They were they were getting into it. And Delaware's band, while they were home, was a little slacking. Really? So oh. those are my two cents. Ask Brandon what his favorite song was being played this week. Brandon, what's your favorite song being played this weekend? What was it? What was it? What? I forgot. He literally wanted to play it today. He's like, we need to get this on here. Oh, so oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love I absolutely gets my heart pounding when the pep bands would play the Avengers song. Oh, I love that. But there were there were a lot of other good songs too. There were there were like, like, it. Cause, like okay. Of course, you had your Mo Bamba. All right, yeah, Mo, like, <laughs> but everybody like Classic, everybody yeah. in the like, your Bruno Mars is exactly. Yeah. I, was to, I was about to say everybody plays Runaway by Bruno Mars, which is a great pep band song. That's fine. Everybody has that in the repertoire. Yeah. Then they play the final countdown again. Yeah, everybody has, has that. that. They play um, what's the song? Uh, dun, 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 dun. The um, oh. I'm it all. Seven, Seven Nation, Nation Army. Army yeah. yeah, everybody's got that one. So when somebody comes out with Miley Honestly, Cyrus I "Wrecking Ball," like I get excited. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You did play "Wrecking Ball" too. You're right. <laughs> well. We have to create a marching band, and we need to tell. I've, I'll text some of my friends in Delaware marching band and say, step it up next year. I expect <laughs> Give them a playlist. Talent, yeah, they're Give ta- the talent, it's all about song selection. Right. If you've learned anything from American Idol, The Voice, it's yeah. all about song selection. Everybody's talented. I just, Who's picking the best songs? I just hope we get a better fan, a turnout, too, next year, too, especially being Moving in to D.C. DC so, hopeful for that, too. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Let's get into some Delaware football. For the first time in a long time, practice began on the 12th. Nick and Jake, I've tasked you with creating your big boards for our next top 10 draft, where we are going to go through the most important players to Delaware's success in 2019. I don't necessarily have a count on how many rounds we'll get through. I just about as much time as we have, but we'll go uh, through the order, snake style, back and forth, drafting the top 10 players, most important, not necessarily the best players, but the ones that are most important to Delaware being successful in 2019. And I think an overarching thought as we begin here is that it looks a lot different yeah. than it did in 2018. And maybe it makes you think back and say, oh, I wish they made a little bit more of those opportunities at the end of the season. A lot goes from the defense. Some goes a lot from the skill groups offensively, but the defense especially hip hard by graduation. And there'll be a lot of young players, a lot of new faces that we'll have to get accustomed to and hopefully start to introduce you to 
uh, as we begin here on the 14th of March. So we'll give Nick, the youngster, Oof. we'll give you the first pick in the draft. Then we'll go to Jake, take and I'll away. take I'll take the bottom end. I'll take three and four. So, J- uh, Nick, go ahead with the top pick. I think the pick you start with almost any team is the quarterback, and that's exactly where I'm going to go with yep. Pat Kehoe. Uh, my, my first pick's gone. <laughs> Return, yeah, cross them off your list. Returning quarterback for the Delaware Blue Hens. I mean, we saw a lot of good things from him last year, I think, moving forward. We saw some things that were iffy from him, but the most important thing is that he solidified himself as a starting quarterback, you know, with his uh, playing against J.P. Caruso and whatnot, who was going to be the starting quarterback. But I think he solidifies the starting quarterback, and he'll be my quarterback moving forward with the first overall pick. Yeah, I think that there's an argument to be made that his late-season struggles had a lot to do with injury. I don't know how much, and I don't know how injured he was, but it certainly was a factor. And then once we got to the JMU game, I mean, that, that partially torn ACL is heavily wrapped. Delaware, should the coaching staff had done a little bit more to adapt to the fact that he was completely immobile in the pocket, sure. But for his own individual performance, I don't know if that necessarily gets held against him. This was a guy who was one of the best downfield passers earlier in the season. They probably could have stand to give him some more opportunities down the field late, but it was tough when he couldn't move around the pocket and extend plays, and they didn't do a lot protection-wise to help him out there. So I I agree with you. Quarterback is going to be the most important spot, and maybe there's some other names that get into the mix, but it's probably Kehoe's job to lose, at least at the beginning. My next pick, uh, I'll paint a picture for you. You know the gif of John Travolta where he's just standing in the open, like looking to his left and right, and it's like, where is everybody? If you show it to me, I'd probably know. You probably do. Uh, That's Nigel Hill right now. That's what Nigel (laughs) Hill is going to look like when he walks out into the secondary. I'm picking him second because this is a huge task because he has to take over a secondary where you had a mini Legion of Boom. Mm-hmm. You had Nasir Adderley and Ray that's, Jones. That's <laughs> no, like not not for the talent level, but people actually smashing into each other. Like the game Ray Jones got ejected in the tournament, he crushed some dude. Like you have a lot of ground to cover, not even to mention the linebackers you're missing. It's his. I don't think anyone else has not necessarily enough experience, but enough trust to get that secondary role. Well, somebody else I have to, but he definitely has mm-hmm. one of them. Right, he yeah. definitely has probably one of the, Yeah, it's not just him. <laughs> Rock was like, yeah, one you, verse. You, got, you got the left to the right sidelines from the uh, 10 to the 10. All right, you take him here. Um, but I think he has a lot on his plate. I don't know if he can do it alone. And again, I know he doesn't yeah, have yeah, to do yeah, it alone. Yeah. But yeah, I don't it. know if he can do it without a lot of other rotating help. Number three. This is where it gets interesting. Oh, yeah, now it's uh, anyone's game. Number one was Pat Kehoe. Number two, cornerback Nigel Hill. Number three, I'm going with Colby Reader. Uh, and similar reason to Nigel Hill, four linebackers start in Danny Rocco's offense. The other three graduate. Troy Reader, Charles Bell, and Ray Jones. Colby Reader, I think, safe to say, took a little bit of a step back in his sophomore year. Injuries were a part of that, but he was not as productive from a pass rushing standpoint as he was as a freshman. He needs to get back to that if that's the role they decide to play him in. Now, he could move around. He could play inside, perhaps, and play more of the role that his brother did for the past two seasons. But in either case, he has to lead that unit now, and he has the ability to do it. CAA Defensive Rookie of the Year. Now is the time for him to, as a junior, doesn't, it's not too early, it's the time for him to become not just Rookie of the Year but first-team all-CAA type of player, which he wasn't necessarily last year. Yeah, 
And my list is actually, it's gone chalk so far on my list. I had Keyhill, Hill, and then Reader. So I'm going to keep it Wait, going. Well, we're, 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 we're on Snake. A, oh, Heath has a pick. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I, I even go before you. Wow. <laughs> All right. So you better get that list ready. Yeah, I love I do Nick's actually. reaction as though he actually like messed something up. Like this has some sort of stakes behind it. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so after Colby Reader, uh, on my list I have Nolan Henderson, um, mm-hmm. the quarterback. And... Not necessarily from day one will he be important to this team, but I do think there's the potential. There's a, there's a scenario in which he becomes the quarterback of this team and unlocks a completely different dimension that they haven't had offensively. The game against Villanova, he was electric running the football. We know what he's capable of in the open field, and that would add a huge element to Delaware's offense and help them be a little bit more creative play call-wise that they didn't have in previous years, and that they won't have with Pat Kehoe simply. The question with any type of running quarterback is, can he stand in there when he has to and deliver the ball downfield? And that's a question that we still don't have an answer to, but it's not because he's proved it wrong. He simply just hasn't had the opportunity. So I think there is a scenario where he gets that opportunity maybe midway through the season, and all of a sudden he becomes the most important player on this team. So after I lock in my defensive guy and Kobe Reader on this makeshift team, I'm going with Nolan Henderson because that position, like Nick said, is the most important in football, and he could be the guy to fill it. I drafted defense first. I will go offense second. I'm headed to the backfield, and I'm going to take Dejuan Lee. He played a very good compliment, I guess, compliment mm-hmm. to Kanai Kane. I don't know exactly how you want to call it. It was a split time, but Kane got trusted with the short yardage, uh, and I would say Lee was a pass-catching back, but a, a, a running really, back didn't really catch a pass yeah. until Richmond was the first time a running back caught a pass. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. It was the game Nick and I called was the first time oh, uh, a running right. back called a pass, uh, caught a pass. But he needs to really define himself, and that's not necessarily on him. Rocco either needs to use him as this pass catching back, like he can be. He's quick and he's shifty, or they just need to make him the workhorse. He's not a Kenai Kane. He's not a one yard automatic, two yard automatic runner. But you just need to get him more involved because splitting time with two great guys is almost worse than just giving one the ball and kind of t- taking away carries from another. So I'm going to take a backfield and a defensive back for my first two picks. So let me recap here. Listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. We are drafting the top 10 most important players to Delaware success in 2019. Nick started us off with Pat Kehoe. Jake took defensive back Nigel Hill. I went with Colby Reader and Nolan Henderson. And Jake just took Dejon Lee. Nick, we're back to you on the opposite side of the snake at number six. So we'll have six, and then we'll go back to, to ten. Uh, you have six and seven. Nick, yep. who are you taking? I got my quarterback, and he's got to throw to a receiver. And when I look at the receivers, two are gone, and uh, Joe Walker and Vinny Papali. The rest aren't pretty either. So I know. We're going to we're gonna go Gene Coleman the second here. So we need someone to step up. As I just said, both those guys are gone. Keo's Two main target targets alongside Charles Scarf is gone as well. So we got to take someone here from New Jersey. He's going to be in his second year now. Or, right? Is he second year? Gene Coleman. Junior. Yeah, junior. Hurricane. My bad. So um, he's going to be a junior, but we need someone to throw it to. And I think he's definitely got to step up, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> There's not really a receiver on this team um, that's been here. So I think he's got to step up, and I'm going to take him as my number one receiver, second overall pick. And we should also mention... The news came between our last show and this. Uh, Ty McElhenney, who was going to be one of those young receivers to vie for time, he announced 
that he's transferring. So that's one less option in the wide receiver room for Danny Rocco and company. Nick, your seventh pick. Now, this is a tough pick. I, I, I'm looking at some names here. I'm definitely going defense. I could go one of the big boys on the defensive line, but I'm going to go actually risky here, and I'm going to take a recruit coming in. I'm going to go Daniel Walker Jr., the defensive back, coming in. Spice. Very spicy, right? Spice. Uh, that's what I like to do. You are leaving Brandon and I a I'm vast some array good of good picks. Enlighten, enlighten me here, though. Talk, I'm leaving you some good me. guys. I'm, I've just looked at like what he did in... in can you tell me his name again? Daniel Walker Jr. <laughs> what, I know. what number is he planning on wearing? <laughs> he did some good stuff in high school, and I said, hey, why not? I need a defensive back, and I honestly don't know. You said you took Hill, and you said who's going to be around him. So this guy could emerge as the second or, or even the star D-back. Uh, he had 14 interceptions in his final two seasons, racked up over 120 tackles, and he's a hard hitter, they wrote about. I was reading about him. So uh, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm leaving you guys some good players, but okay. let me t- let me just step out. I'm taking a recruit, Daniel Walker Jr., from Washington, Pennsylvania. All right, Jake, you're up. Can I take two players and just pick whoever gets more snaps? Why not? Uh, so I'm going to take the tight end position, okay. whether that be Owen Tyler or Bryce DeMalley or somebody else. Okay. Um, I'm just going to take whichever one gets the most snaps. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, I wouldn't bat an eye at filling shoes in the tight end position. Charles Garf was non-existent. He had 13 catches the season before this one, the entire season. This season, he probably had 13 catches by game two. He really made that tight end position something. The connection he had with Kehoe on those end rounds, on those fly routes towards the sidelines, they need that. They need to keep that going because I was going to pick up men on the offensive line, and there's plenty of them on the offensive line. If that line is as good as it was last year, not saying it was good, but if it's at the same level as it was last year, you need a tight end. And I think either Owen Tyler or Bryce DeMalley, even a recruit, is going to be super important for this team. And I think both of them could have a role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they play they that kind of, of yeah, yeah. That H-back kind of thing that both of those guys can do. So they're both chess pieces. I like that pick. Number nine, I'm going with Justice Henley, another defensive back. Okay. Um, because that's a, a clear area of need. Tani Adewusi, Nasir Adderley, Casey Hinton, all graduating. Uh, Ray Jones, who who has played both in the secondary and among the linebackers, graduating. So I'm going with Justice Henley. Uh, at the end of last season, I asked Danny Rocco, "Who's gonna, you know, who are you looking at in the in the secondary?" Because as I looked at it, you yeah. had a bunch of dudes who've never played before, so I can't tell you which one was better than the next. And the first name that immediately came was Justice Henley. He said, "Justice has impressed us from day one." We look at him, oh my gosh, this guy's so athletic. Dude played quarterback and wide receiver and defensive back in high school. Was all state in all three of them. His highlight tape, he's mossing dudes at wide receiver, and then you flip and he's doing the same thing as a defensive back. Crazy athleticism. I think he's the most athletic defensive back on the roster. He's going to get an opportunity to play opposite Nigel Hill. I do think Hill gets that one spot from day one. I think it's Henley on the other side, and then the safeties we can talk about. But I think Justice Henley has a big role to play on this defense this upcoming season, and it's a name that we'll start to get familiar with. And my last pick is the opposite type of pick, Cam Kitchen. He's one of the remaining veterans along that defensive line, gets the extra year of eligibility because he was hurt, not this season, but the season before, and that ends up kind of helping Delaware because they had the defensive line depth then. Now he gets to anchor the defensive line this season, I think, he could be in the neighborhood, six or seven sacks. I, I don't think that's crazy to think. I think he had a good season last year, and he'll keep getting better. And he rounds out 
Hour 10, were there any other names quickly before we go to break that you guys just wanted to spit out there as other names to watch? My next pick was Nick Pritchard um, for the sake of giving special teams some love. Uh, I think he's big and the stretch where Delaware needed to do well and didn't, a lot of it was on Nick Pritchard. He didn't have a lot of great punts, gave him pretty bad field position to play defense with, but I think he's impactful nonetheless. Yeah, I had Cam Kitchen up there, and then I also had uh, Caleb Ashworth, too, the other defensive tackle, so I think we hit most of the good guys there in the top ten. I'll throw out two other freshman linebackers from last year, Drew Nichols, Kedrick Whitehead. Whitehead as well, yeah. Uh, potential for those guys to kind of change position, mm-hmm. uh, but I think they'll get they'll be in the mix defensively regardless. It was tough for me to differentiate the offensive linemen from one another, yeah. but I do think it's important to note that that's got to be an area of improvement, and they do have a lot of guys returning, really only losing Noah Beth because Mario Faronella got an extra year of eligibility. So that groups, it's got to raise its play for mm-hmm. the good of the entire offense, running game and passing game. But couldn't really pinpoint a specific guy. And then I like Brandon Hall too on the defensive line. Just another guy who's going to be in the mix. They're deep up front. It's the linebackers in the secondary where there's questions. But I think Hall with Kitchen, Ashworth, these guys, uh, even Colby Reader, if he's still in that edge rushing position at linebacker, I think that's a good unit coming back to this team. Uh-huh. 